All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, in the first two chapters of this uh, letter, 1 Corinthians, what we find out about the church at Corinth is that she was challenged. This was a challenged church. Uh, one challenge in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one challenge that they faced was division. Uh, they were divided by their allegiances. Some followed Paul and some followed Apollos and some followed Cephas. And so that they focused on the messengers more than they focused on the message. And that was a problem within the church. That was a challenge that they faced. Uh, they also faced a challenge of dependence. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They depended upon themselves. They depended upon the ways of the world. They trusted in uh, the world uh, rather than relying on and trusting in God and in the message of Jesus Christ. And so we've, uh, we've only dug into the first two chapters and we can see how this church was challenged already with two really big challenges, right? Uh, and, and again, we're going to see another challenge tonight. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that the church also faces the challenge of worldliness. Worldliness. That's what they, they face. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really dig into that word tonight, what it means and, and how that's a challenge. Uh, first of all, to be worldly. What does that mean? To be worldly means to be in the flesh. That's what it means. Uh, it's akin to the Greek word sakiros or sarks. And that word means sinful nature. It means fleshly nature. Uh, this is the word that Paul uses, by the way. He uses this word a lot uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, the King James word here is the word carnal. And so if, if you, someone says you are carnal, that means you are worldly or you're in the flesh. And so my prayer tonight is that we'll get a better understanding of what that looks like. What does it look like? to be worldly or to be in the flesh or to be carnal. And it, it's so that we'll grow and be the church that God wants us to be. And that's the other thing that I want you to understand. In, in the letter to Corinth, Paul is not specifically talking to an individual. He's talking to the church body. He's talking to the church body. And so uh, we got to be careful not to, to point, point out one person or one thing. He's talking about the overall body, the church at Corinth. And so we want to be the church that God wants us to be and start right here, right now. So let's go ahead and dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to read the first four verses, and uh, we'll talk about that, and then we'll move on. So starting in verse 1, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. There's that word, worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So that's a pretty tough opening right here, the first four verses of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and Paul, let me remind you of this, he's talking to the church. So guess who he's talking to? He's talking to believers. This is not a letter for unbelievers. This is a letter for believers. So these are professing Christians, professing Christ followers. You need to keep that in mind as you move forward. So Paul points out two kinds of, 
of believers right here in the first four verses. There are mature believers and there are immature believers. So in this passage, he's speaking to believers and he's pointing out there are two kinds of believers, mature believers and immature believers. Uh, For sure, there were probably some new believers uh, who who were in the beginning stages of their faith. And listen, it's okay to be immature because you're just learning, right? You're just learning about faith. You're just learning about the church and you're just learning about who you are in Christ and who God's created you to be. Um, But there comes a point where immaturity is not a good thing and it's not a thing to be okay with. And so uh, what we've got to understand is that many of these church members that Paul is addressing in this church body as a whole, they had been converted for some time now. Uh, Many, many months, even years, they had been converted and they should have been moving forward in their faith. They should have been growing in the Word, digesting the Word and then living the Word out loud. And so Paul, he's basically said there's there's two kinds of believers. There's mature believers and immature believers. And, And what does he say about them right off the bat? You're immature. <laughs> I, I, I've been feeding you milk and I'm still feeding you milk, right? You, you should have been ready for solid food, but you're not. And so immature believers, let me just tell you the difference between uh, mature and immature believers. Imma, uh, immature believers are still feeding on the basic truths of God's word, the basic truths, while mature believers are feeding on the deep truths, Right? So just like infants can only digest milk, immature believers are only ready for the basic truths of God's Word. Uh, Mature believers, as Paul would say, can digest much more, the deeper truths of the gospel. And Paul seems disappointed. He seems disappointed that the church has not matured and digested these gospel truths uh, by now. I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. And in Dr. Warren Wiersbe's commentary, here's what he says. He says, an immature believer knows the facts about our Lord's life and ministry on the earth, but not the truths about his present ministry in heaven. An immature believer lives on Bible stories, but not Bible doctrines. I I love that. So, So Dr. Wiersbe says, an immature believer can tell you all about the Bible stories, but that's it. It, It's surface level. It's what I would call superficial. He says a mature believer can dig deeper than a Bible story. A true believer, a mature believer, can talk about doctrine. He can talk talk about, not, not here's just what the Bible says, but here's what it means, and here's how I am supposed to live it out. And so Paul, um, he's disappointed that the church has not grown in their faith. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to embrace it and then put it in practice daily with spiritual discernment. If you'll remember last week, we talked about that. Spiritual discernment in the life of a Christ follower is a must, right? It's one thing to know what God says. It's another thing to actually embrace it and live it out. And spiritual discernment is where that comes in. And from what Paul tells us right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the church at Corinth was missing this. So two marks, two marks of spiritual immaturity in the church at Corinth were jealousy and quarreling. Paul says 
let me tell you how I know that you are immature. So he's not just saying you're immature and then folding his arms. He's saying, let me help tell you how I know that you're immature. I see jealousy and I see quarreling. These are two marks, two traits, if you will, of immaturity. Whereas a mature believer strives for love, strives for unity and service through spiritual discernment, an immature believer walks in the flesh. An immature believer is carnal and worldly, gratifying self, which leads to jealousy. The Greek word for jealousy is zealous, and it's a negative tense. It means to envy. It means to want something that someone else has for personal reasons. Uh, He says that quarreling is another trait of immaturity in the church. The word quarreling, I found, found this pretty interesting. In the Greek language, do you know what the word quarreling is? Rib. Have you ever heard to rib somebody, right? So rib in the Greek language means to enter into an argument. It's more than disagreeing, it's being disagreeable. That's what quarreling means. It doesn't mean I disagree with you. It means I disagree with you and I don't like you and you get out. <laughs> That's what it means. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's not good. The church should not be defined by jealousy and quarreling. That's immaturity. Those are marks of immaturity. And, and Paul says, this is what I see. This is what I hear from you as a church body. And so uh, Paul, in my opinion, as he opens this third chapter, uh, he's disappointed. He's disappointed uh, in the fact that he's got some deep spiritual, theological truth that he wants to give them, but he can't because they're not ready for it. They're, they're still drinking milk rather than eating solid food. So watch what he does here, beginning in verse 5. He says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. I love that. He says, you are God's field, God's building. So, so Paul, he, he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to get them ready for these deeper truths of God's word, of the message of Jesus Christ. And, and so immediately, Paul realizes that they've had divisions Uh, He realizes that they've had some dependency issues and he realizes that they are immature and part of that is they're looking at each other and they're lifting each other up and they're missing Jesus. They're missing the message of Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He takes the emphasis off of the servants and puts it back on God. That's one way you can deal with immaturity. You can get people to stop looking at each other and stop lifting each other up and put their focus and their eyes back on God. And that's what he does. He takes their focus off of the servants and puts it back on God. Were the servants important? Yeah, they were important. They had a purpose. They had a job to do. Um, But the emphasis has to be on God because here's the thing. Without God, it doesn't matter what you do. Think about that for just a moment. If you take God out of the equation, you're like the little rat in the cage that's just spinning the wheel. All right? You're just spinning the wheel. Nothing nothing happens. It, It feels like something's happening. 
It looks like something happening, but guess what? Nope. Without God, we can't do anything. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Uh, he goes on and he basically, he, he tells them God is the source, right? He is the source of all spiritual life. He, he is the source of all growth in maturity. Uh, as Paul says, a man may plant and a man may water, but only God makes things grow. I love that statement. Only God makes things grow. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you must depend on God. You must rely on God. You must keep your eyes on God. You must be focused on God. The emphasis has to be, God, who are you? God, what do you want me to do? God, just keep your eyes on God. <laughs> keep your focus on God. Um, Paul goes on, he talks about the servants laboring together. The servants labor in ministry together, right? They have one purpose. One is doing this, one is doing that, but the purpose is the same. They are laboring in ministry together, helping God's church bear fruit. I love when he says you are God's field. What do we plant in the field, right? We, we plant corn and we plant, you know, we plant fruit. We plant all of these things, these, these, these plants that bear fruit. And that's, I love that image that Paul gives us. And he says, hey, we're in this together. We're co-laborers. Uh, in God's field, you are God's field and the purpose is to bear fruit. Paul's going to go into greater detail uh, about God indwelling us both as individuals and as a corporate body. But remember, this letter, it is for the corporate body. And he says the corporate body, the church, is God's field, God's building. And Paul points out the different opportunities that we have uh, in the church to serve. But again, the goal is what? Love and unity. That's the goal of a mature believer, love and unity. An immature believer, right? What, what, what happens with an immature believer? What are those two traits again? Jealousy and quarreling. It's pretty easy. If you want to know if you are maturing in your faith or if you are remaining immature, just ask yourself this question. Am I known as being a jealous person? Am I known as one who quarrels? ribs others, so to speak. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty blatant. It's pretty obvious. So he goes on. He's got a lot to say in chapter 3, so let's keep moving. Verse 10, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. He's already spoken to us about wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. How do we gain wisdom? We gain wisdom by way of the Holy Spirit. All right, all you got to do is go back and look at 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he's already talked about this. He's going to continue to talk about it. But Paul says, by the grace God has given me. In other words, this is not something I earned, right? This is God calling me, God equipping me, God enabling me. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than than the one already lain, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, 
the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Let me stop real quick before I move forward. Who is Paul speaking to? Not just the church at Corinth, we get that, but what group of people is he talking to? Believers. And Paul has already made it very clear in other letters, and he's making it clear right here. You are not saved because of your work. Your works don't determine your salvation, right? Your salvation determines your works, not the other way around. Your works don't determine your salvation. You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. Dr. Tony Evans always says that, and I love that. So Paul's preaching of Christ crucified was the foundation of the church. Paul said, uh, God, His grace, He equipped me and He called me to preach the message of Jesus Christ uh, in wisdom. That means the Spirit led Him, guided Him, directed Him. In spirit, He laid that foundation. And He says the foundation is Jesus Christ. What did Paul say already? I preach Christ crucified. That's what he said over and over again. I preach Christ crucified crucified. Uh, There is no other foundation for the church other than Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ alone. If we build on anything else, we are setting ourselves up for failure. Do you hear me? If we build the church on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, you better get ready for failure. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, That's what Paul wanted the church at Corinth to understand. The foundation has already been laid. It is Jesus Christ crucified. And then he says, I've laid the foundation and then others that God has appointed, that God has put in place, is building upon that. But he he makes it very clear, the church must be built with care. The church must be built with care because God will call us to give an account for how we build. Let me say that again because this is very important for me as a pastor And if you are a leader in this church, it's very important for you as well. The church must be built with care because God will, He will, He will call us to give an account. We are accountable to God for how we build. In this letter, Paul will talk about the individual as the temple of God, but in this passage, we see that he also talks about the church body as the temple of God. He goes on and says, Here are some materials that you will use to build. Now, these materials, uh, yes, they are earthly in nature, but they are also symbolic, okay? So the gold and the silver and the costly stones that Paul references in this passage, they represent permanent resources, permanent resources, okay? The wood, the hay, and the straw represent perishable sources or resources. Um, And so the question is, Are we building with a heavenly perspective? Are we building from an eternal perspective? Or are we building with an earthly perspective? Are we building with worldly wisdom, which Paul has already said is foolishness? Um, I love this because Paul says God is the one who is in control, and as builders, uh, we're going to give an account to God for how we build. What foundation we, we, we've lain for our church body and how we build upon that foundation. We're going to give an account to God. Matter of fact, Paul references the day, right? He speaks of the day, and this is very important. Dr. David Jeremiah explains it this way. When Paul speaks of the day, 
This is not the great white throne judgment where God will condemn unbelievers. This is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to talk, talk more about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But Dr. David Jeremiah says this is the judgment seat of Christ where believers will be evaluated for their service. And so in that moment, God will see His children as they are. All the motivations, all the desires, all the reasons for serving God in His kingdom and in kingdom ministry, God's going to know it. Again, this is not about earning salvation. This is about serving in ministry because we are saved. Service does not save us. Our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Paul makes that very clear. However, we give God glory in how we serve. I'm going to say that again. We give God glory in how we serve. When we serve with the right motivation, when we serve with the right desire, when we serve with the right purposes, God is glorified. And so Dr. Tony Evans, I love this. (laughs) He says this in his commentary. Don't give God your leftovers. Give Him the best you have to offer. This passage affirms the eternal security of unfaithful believers who enter heaven with little or nothing to show in terms of their service to God and His kingdom. So Dr. Tony Evans is very clear. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your eternity is secure. But what you have to lay at the feet of Jesus, what you have to lay down as you worship Him, it will all be determined by your service in ministry. And I love Dr. Tony Evans. He said, don't give God your leftovers. Give Him the best you have to offer. I'm going to tell you what, tonight, that meal you ate, right? Jonathan and that that class and those people that cooked, (laughs) that had to be the best because I've eaten leftovers before and that wasn't leftovers. That, that, That was the best. They gave you the best. And listen to me, it's funny, right? But, but ask my wife how much I like leftovers. Ask my mama how much I like leftovers. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate leftovers. Now, I eat it when I'm hungry, but it ain't what I want. I don't like warming stuff up that's already been cooked, right? I want it the way it's supposed to be, right out the oven. Yeah, my way right away. <laughs> don't, don't pick out my Burger King now. Don't pick out my Burger King moments. But Dr. Tony Evans says, don't give God what's left over in your life. Give God the best. Give God the best. And I'm going to tell you something. We're going to answer to God for it anyway, right? We're going to answer to God for it. Like I said this morning, and I I thought about it in my prayer, we we can fool each other all we want. We can put on our masks, right? We can hide all kinds of stuff from each other. But there ain't no mask and ain't no hiding from God. It'll all be laid bare. He'll know every motivation. He'll know every desire. He'll know every purpose. Paul goes on and he finishes chapter 3 with this passage. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. I love that. He says you together are that temple. Again, we know that as individuals, we are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells in us. But we tonight, gathered as a body, 
are God's temple as well. And so I love how Paul explains that. He, he says, uh, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He goes on in verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, which means this world, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Sounds like he said that one time before, right? No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. What an awesome way to finish this passage. Remember, this is about being a mature believer versus being an immature believer. This is about walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. And so the you in this passage, when he says you, right, it sounds like he's talking to Jeff, but actually in the Greek language, the word you here is plural. He's not talking to an individual. He's talking to the body. He's talking to the church at Corinth. And so Paul is talking about the church body. And what does he say about the church body? First of all, God dwells in his sacred temple, which is the church body. God dwells in the body of Christ, the church. Anyone who destroys his temple, Paul says, will be judged by God. God will destroy that person. Uh, false doctrines. We, we talked a little bit about this in, in our staff meeting, you know, false teachers and false doctrines. Uh, Jeremy and I, we were talking about this. And uh, a lot of times when we think about false teachers and we think about false doctrines, we think about those people out there that don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. But do you know that there were false teachers back then who believed in Jesus, but they were trying to force, right? They were trying to force what they believed on someone else. And so that's false doctrine, that's false teaching. And so Paul says false doctrines, uh, false you know, teachers, divisions and the like, those are means of destruction for the church body. That's why he says you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful how you build the church and how you build on this foundation that is Jesus Christ. Um, he says God sees it and God will deal with it. So I'm going to ask a question that I've already answered, but I want to make sure you were listening. How can we attain wisdom? Who, who is the source of wisdom? God. God will give us wisdom. How? James tells us in his letter, if we ask for wisdom, how will God give it to us? Yeah. Uh, I mean, abundantly, generously, right? He'll, he'll give it to us generously without finding fault. And so all we got to do is ask God for it. He is the source of the wisdom. He'll give it to us. And I love this. Uh, in his commentary, Dr. Tony Evans says this, it's better to become a fool in the world's eyes in order to become wise in God's eyes. Think about that for just a moment. It's better to become a fool in the world's eyes so that we can be wise in God's eyes. I would like to say that that would have been good information for Herod. 
Think about that. This morning, he was worried about looking like a fool in front of who? All those important people who were there to celebrate his birthday. And instead of, instead of making a wise decision, right, he made a foolish decision. He made a sinful decision. Dr. Tony Evans, is better to become a fool. <laughs> better to become a fool in the world's eyes in order to become wise in God's eyes. So what perspective, that's my question, what perspective are we choosing to live by in this life? Are we seeing things with, with human eyes? Are we seeing things from a worldly perspective? Or are we seeing things with the eyes of redeemed hearts? Are we seeing things from a heavenly perspective? Uh, even in this passage of Scripture, Paul, he actually quotes Scripture from Job. So that first verse that he quoted, that's actually Job chapter 5, verse 13. That little second Scripture that he quoted, that's Psalm 94, verse 11. And basically what Paul is saying is God knows. God knows what you are thinking He knows what you're doing. He knows why you're doing it. God sees it all. He knows it all. And so true wisdom is of God and from God. That's what Paul wants the church to know. True wisdom is of God and from God. And then one more time, Paul Paul hits it hard, uh, and and I believe it's it's intentional, and we'll continue to see it. They really struggled. They really struggled. Um, in their divisions with leaders. Well, this is what Paul says, so this is what I'm doing. Well, this is what Apollo said, so this is what I'm doing. Well, this is what Cephas said, so this is what I'm doing. They really struggled. They really struggled um, in their divisions with human leaders. And so Paul makes it very, very clear. The church is not to exalt leaders. The church is to exalt Christ. And that's it. That's it. The church is to exalt Christ, not its leaders. This is the second time Paul has said that. He already said it once in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, God has given them great church leaders. Um, He's given them leaders and and members. And listen, uh, they belong to one another. Just like at this church, you and I, we not only belong to God, we belong to one another. Right? We belong. Okay? But, But we don't exalt each other. We exalt Christ. Can can we respect each other? Can we honor each other? We should. But as far as exalting and lifting up, right, it should be Christ and Christ alone. And so my prayer, right, and I put this on your handout, let's pray for one another. And let's pray for one another to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. and, And I just believe not only was this a challenge for Corinth, I believe this is a challenge for every church everywhere. Because we're going to be tempted to lean on, to rely on, right, human wisdom. We're going to be tempted to lean on and lie on experience, right? Oh, well, I've got experience in this area, and I've got experience. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying our education. I'm not saying our experience. I'm not saying those are bad things. But when you begin to rely on your education or my education, when you begin to rely on your experience or my experience, and and you leave God out, (laughs) good luck. Good luck. We've been there before as a church where where we've depended on ourselves and we got ourselves in a pickle and we had to pray hard and and we, we had to be disciplined by God 
to get out of it. And, and we're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it everywhere. All kinds of churches in all kinds of problems because they've relied on self. That they've depended upon the ways of the world rather than relying and depending on God. And so I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me as your pastor. I want you to pray for our deacons and our Sunday school teachers. Pray that, that yes, God would give us wisdom, that, yes, God would give us education, that, yes, God would give us experience, but, but pray that we will rely on God and depend on God and, and that you as well will rely on God and depend on God. And I, I believe that's what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth is you're, you're immature, Right, you're, you're feeding on milk. I can't even give you solid food because you're too busy exalting each other and glorifying each other and, and, and you're missing Jesus. And, and so Paul says, how can I talk to you about anything more when, when, when you can't even get up off the ground? You're mere infants. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's a bad place to be for a church. That's a bad place to be for a church because how can you serve God's kingdom Right? How can you serve God's kingdom if you aren't being led by the Spirit, if you aren't walking by the Spirit? I'll tell you, it's impossible. It's impossible to serve in your community and serve in your world and bring God glory when you're in and of yourselves. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what I pray for. I pray that we will live by the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, and uh, we'll leave the worldliness behind. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad. And, uh, and maybe you are hiding it from me. And if you are... If you are, keep hiding it from me. But I'm going to just tell you something. I'm, I'm so thankful that this church is not defined by jealousy. In the leadership, in the lay members, I'm so glad that this church is not defined by quarreling. Now, I'm not saying it hadn't happened in the past. Because if you've been here as long as I have, you know that it's happened. Okay? And, and it could very easily happen again if we take our eyes off of Jesus. I'm just telling you, you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to put your eyes somewhere. But I'm begging you, don't put them on me. Because I'll go ahead and tell you right now, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed if you put your eyes on me. If you put your, put your heart and your mind on me, I'm, I've already given you the warning, you will be let down and you will be disappointed. You put your eyes on Christ, He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. And so that's what I want to do. I want to focus on Christ and Him crucified. I want to put my eyes on Christ, the risen Christ, right? The victory that we have in Christ. That's what I want to do, and uh, that's what I want you to do. So as we move forward, we're going we're gonna to continue to see some challenges. And uh, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, right? But at the same time, I do, I do want to thank God for protecting us and for growing us, right? Because here's the thing. I can plant, and somebody can come behind me and water, but if God's not growing it, does it matter? Nope. I'm thankful that God is growing us as a body, growing us in His Word, growing us together, so that we can do what He's called us to do in this community. Amen?